mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be beginning in verse 13 this morning. We read, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but he but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Father, we want our faith and our hope to be in you, in your great gift that you gave of your son Jesus and the blood that he sprinkled on the altar for our sins pour out your spirit lord have your way with us that we would receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of our souls give us wisdom and understanding in your scriptures in Jesus' name amen first peter 1 13 therefore and you always have to look back and see what it's there for when you have the word therefore. It's there, it's, it's saying this is what we're doing because of what's before. And of course we know that we spent two weeks rehearsing that God elected us according to his foreknowledge. According to sanctification of the Spirit for obedience, sanctification, being set apart as His people in His house for His glory so that we would obey. And how was it done? By the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Therefore, because He has begotten us, verse 3, B, again, We've been born again to a living hope, not a dead hope. 
Christ got up from the grave. He lives. The word of God lives. The kingdom of God lives. God has given us life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's an inheritance that's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It does not fade away. Many things fade away. This does not fade away. It is reserved for you and I in heaven or for those who are kept by the power of God. By faith. I mean, this is amazing stuff when you begin to rehearse the introduction. It's there for what? For your redemption, for your salvation. He says in 6, in this we greatly rejoice. James says, count it all joy when you face various trials. In this we rejoice that there's going to be some trials. Notice this. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why do we go through things in this life? Why are things going on in our lives? That the genuineness of your faith. Don't you want to know this side of heaven, whether your faith is genuine or not? Don't you want to know this side of heaven before there's no other chance? It's appointed for man to die once, then comes the judgment. You need to know on this side of heaven, is my faith genuine? Is my faith real? Is my faith based in Scripture, based upon Jesus? Is it there because of the blood of Jesus? So how you go through life, how you go through your trial, how you go through the fire is going to tell you if your faith is genuine. Listen to me. Many do not have genuine faith. Many are involved in culturanity. Many are in churches playing with God. And they're deceived by false teaching. They think they're okay. But the genuineness of your faith can be told by what happens when you're tested by fire. See, that's what they do with gold. They dig it out of the mountain. They put it in the smelter. They melt it, and the impurities come out, and you see the genuineness of it. And I was watching, I was watching something on TV, and they had this, this uh, um, uh, commemorative, what was it, an AK something. It was some kind of a rifle that you couldn't even take out of the case because it was gold-plated. If you took it out of the case and bothered it, it's so soft. Even though it was commemorative, you had to keep it in the case. If you would ever take it out and actually use it and fire it, it would destroy the gold. See, pure gold is so soft. It's so pliable. It's so valuable and usable that we don't usually do anything with 24 karat gold. It's too soft. But that's the purity God wants in our life. That's the, that's the way he wants to burn out all the impurities through trials, through tribulation, through suffering, through pain, through just a regular testing of life. Because he wants us to see our hearts. Now listen, that's the amazing thing is that the genuineness of your faith. When you go through something and you fail the test, it's not to kick you out of heaven. See, it's incorruptible. You're kept by God, by the power of God. But what it is to do is to show you your heart. It is to show you your faith. It is to show you what you're trusting in. In the book of Deuteronomy, where we're reading through, you can look there with me, Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. I never had this. Oh, yeah, I did. I had it marked. Chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. Very important chapter. In fact, Jesus quotes this chapter when he's tested and tried and tempted in the wilderness when he fasted 40 days. We'll just begin in verse 2. I just want to give a small point here to let you see what is going on. When God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, then he had to take Egypt out of the children of Israel. And he wanted to put his character, his nature, his law into them, his ways into them. And you have to die to self in order for that to happen. If you keep your ways, we're going to talk about that, your former lust, then you can't accept God's ways. You can't stay who you are and go with God. You have to begin as little children to react to everything differently. And when the fire comes, when the test comes, it shows you what's in your heart. And then you go, Lord, that's in my heart. And when you agree with him, now he can begin to work on it and take it out of your heart. But when you continue to disagree and be disobedient to God and never agree with his word, that's good old-fashioned garden sin. That's good old-fashioned old nature resisting God. It's rebellion. It's, it's a sin of witchcraft. He says, and you shall remember, Deuteronomy 8, 2, it's a memorial. You should remember this. You remember where you come from. Remember who you were. Remember where you're going. Remember the incorruptible inheritance. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these way, these 40 years in the wilderness. Well, why did you do that, God? To humble you. Change your character. See, we're full of pride. To humble you. See, we want our own way to humble you. When we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he lifts us up. To humble you and to test you. What happens after you learn something on Sunday morning? After you read the Bible? After you learn something, there's always going to be a test. There's going to be a trial. To see if you learned it. If you can apply it. To know what was in your heart. See, God already knows your heart. He says it's exceedingly wicked. He already sees it clearly, perfectly, knows your ideas, knows your desires, knows what you're after, knows what you're pursuing. Even when you don't, He knows. Whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger. That's a test. I'm hungry. Fed you with manna. Remember this when they, he rained manna from heaven, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. What is it? Manna. That's what they said. What is it? That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. That's what Jesus used. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. See, believing his word Trusting his word, looking to his word that gives us instruction. That's what we're doing right now. We're looking at Peter. We're saying, what does your word say? What did angels long to look into? What did the prophets testify of? Yet they didn't know what they were saying. We're now looking at it in the word of God, and we're supposed to believe in it, put our full trust in it, pistio, to entrust our spiritual well-being into Christ 
for salvation, but then faith continues. There's a constancy in continuing to believe Him and not to believe other lies. So He wants to put us through the test, through the trial. And there's going to be temptations and things that go on. Now, He's not tempting you. We studied this last week. He doesn't tempt you. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. He gives you His Word, His perfect Word, and now you grab a hold of it, you have faith in it, you trust it, you follow what it says, and it's a good and perfect gift that has no shadow or shifting in it. God's the unchanging God. It's always going to be good. It's always going to be true. It's always going to be right. It's never going to change from generation to generation. It was truth. In the garden, it's truth now. The question is, is what are we going to choose? Are we going to choose to obey God's word or obey the lie? Are we going to choose to follow some other word? We can't be sanctified completely unless we begin to obey God. We'll come back to that. So he wanted them to know what was in their hearts. And listen, he says, I'll give you testimony. Verse 4, your garments did not wear out on you. Forty years in the wilderness, their garments didn't wear out. Normal garments wear out. This was supernatural. Nor did your feet swell these 40 years. My feet swell 40 minutes after I get to work. But they were in the wilderness, in the hot sand, walking around the same mountain for 40 years, and their feet didn't swell. He took care of them. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. There's going to be things that happen where God is training us to obey him and to live by the word of God. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And excuse me, therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Why? Because the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that, that flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord, your God, for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and your gold multiply, and all you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions, thirsty land in which were, there was no water, who brought water from you out of a flinty rock. Remember Moses hit the rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna. It rained from heaven, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Listen, God is for you. He's not against you. God is not mad at us. God came to save us. He didn't come to destroy us. Listen to me clearly. He came to pour out his blood to bring us to salvation, to bring us to sanctification. But he doesn't want to just sanctify us in position, 
but he wants to sanctify a spirit, soul, and body. Just like the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one in union, he wants your spirit, soul, and body to be one in union. So he come and positionally, he died and gave you perfect righteousness, sealed you in the body. It's incorruptible. Your place in heaven, you, you are sanctified completely, positionally. But now our soul, our mind, will, and emotions need to come into his alignment to become like him, to be holy because he is holy. We need to begin to say no to our mind, will, and emotions that are against the word of God and begin to say yes to his word, to learn and believe that we can deny ourselves, our own thoughts, will, and emotions and believe him because he's right and he retrains us as children. And in part of that that he's doing as we listen, as he sanctifies our soul, we beat our body, this flesh, into subjection you put it in the grave you say no to it you don't do what it desires but you do what God says in his word this is how sanctification works it becomes threefold in its very self because he wants to sanctify all of us and I'm here to tell you that in that obedience he makes us like his son Jesus in that obedience listen it's not going to be fulfilled on this planet When you see him face to face, then you'll instantly be transformed and become like him. But we're supposed to be moving in that direction. Hence, turn back to our text. I won't finish that. I just wanted you to see that he already did this. It's a type in the Old Testament of what he was doing with the children of Israel. He takes them out of Egypt and he takes Egypt out of them. He takes them out of the house of bondage. Slavery to sin is our bondage. He takes the penalty and, 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 and the power of sin away from us so that we will choose to have our mind, will, and emotion and our body line up with our position. How do you do that? You get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. You begin to line your life up with what he said. How do you do that? Well, he says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, it was brought to you. It's given to you. It's a gift for you. You don't have to do any work. You just have to abide in it. It's a vine that you just grab a hold of. You've been been sealed and sanctified into. Just enjoy the truth of it and believe it. As obedient children. So here's your choice. You can choose to obey, or you can choose to conform yourselves to your former lust and continue doing the same thing you've always done. Listen to me. Notice the word obedient, children. I'm going to go back. But I want you to see that there's an underlying theme here in chapters 1 and 2. And, and the word obedience, we're, we're sanctified in verse 2 for obedience. Verse 14, obedient children. Verse 22, he says, since you have purified your souls by obeying. See the word obedient there? And that word means a hearkening to hear attentively to obey. It means you don't just hear the word of God and go, that's good stuff there, isn't it? Blood poured out for me. I've been redeemed. I can go live any way I want. No, 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 no. You've been set free to follow to obey but in chapter 2 what's he going to say he's going to say that those that stumble that those are rejected that those are going to be punished are the ones who disobey the word of truth they hear it 
but they don't do anything about what they hear. That's demonology. The demons know the word of God and they tremble. See, we have to have a heart. We say, God, you're showing me my heart. I, don't, I, I hear the word. I listen to the word, but I don't do anything about the word. So, Lord, please help me to begin to learn to obey the word and to be led by the spirit and to be involved in the body of Christ and be the person that you've called me to be. And then I'll have evidence of sanctification then I'll know that there's a genuineness of my faith that's being worked out. But if there's no genuineness of faith being worked out, then I have to say, wait a minute, on this side, I need to know on this side. Now when I get to the throne room and I go, oh wow, this is the white throne judgment. This is not the Bema seat. See, because we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Just different ones. If your faith is genuine, that's what James was, or, uh, yeah, James was talking about. He said, faith without works is dead faith. It's not true faith. It's not genuine faith. You don't work for your salvation. However, if you have true faith, it produces works, works of righteousness. It produces a different direction in your life. It produces cooperation with the Spirit who is sanctifying you, spirit, soul, and body. And the power is not lacking in God. The choice is lacking in us. Well, not you guys, people in Texas and me. We're the ones that need to make the choice to obey God. Listen, obedient, attentive, hearkening with compliance and submission to. Why? Because it's a great inheritance that, that cannot be taken from you. It does not fade away. Listen. But if you have it, there should be evidence. But if you're disobedient, look. In chapter 2, verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, that's the obedient, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And he could be speaking just simply to the nation of Israel, but he's also speaking to us. And then he says it again in 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The word of God becomes an offense to some. Instead of obeying it, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. Listen, you were appointed to this word. Now, I can't wait to get to that chapter. That's why I'm kind of digging into it now. Because it talks about us becoming a royal priesthood, a holy generation. That's what God has always wanted since the beginning, is a nation of priests who are serving Him. How do we serve Him? By serving others. By going to others with the gospel message. The disobedient means to simply disbelieve. But listen, it means willfully to disbelieve and perversely. Instead of looking for the pure, unadulterated milk of the word, the, the, the truth of the word, and looking to hear attentively and obey it, we willfully disbelieve it and don't follow it, and we choose the perversity of other truths, other lies, other voices, and we obey not. It comes from a word that means unpersuadable. Think about it. Isn't that the garden? given the entire garden except for one tree and all you had to do is believe God 
and they chose to willfully believe the perversion of the word of God that the devil brought. That's what they chose to do. Eve was deceived. Adam chose to do it willfully and follow his wife. You know how messed up our salvation would be if Jesus decided to follow us instead of us follow him? See, that's how the church is, is today. They want Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Bless me, club. Come follow me. We're going to go do some stuff. The bride is supposed to be following the groom. We're supposed to be led by the spirit that sanctified us and sealed us. It's in our heart doing home makeover, tearing down walls, cleaning us up, making us new again, having fellowship with God daily, coming boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, not just positionally, but practically in our daily walk so that our soul and our body follow our position of our spirit that's already in heaven, seated in heavenly places with Christ. It's an inheritance that's incorruptible. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now remember, when you're standing and when we're living for Jesus, we have a stand. Ephesians 6 says, gird up your loins with truth. This is gird up the loins of your mind because that's where we go astray at. It's in our mind. Either you're going to believe or you're not going to believe. Either you're going to follow the truth and believe God's inerrant word, the unchanging God that gives every perfect gift that's already said that his blood gives us this place and it's incorruptible. It doesn't fade. It's a perfect salvation. It's a perfect plan. There's not a better plan to redeem mankind. Either you're going to believe that or you're going to disbelieve that. And the way that you begin is by girding up the loins of your mind. And it's, it's a little different because of the language. I don't know how we would say it in today's language. But to gird is to get rid of anything. I think that Paul says it in Hebrews 12. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you. And run with endurance the race that is before you, following the author and the finisher of your faith. Same thing. Gird the loins. In that culture, they wore the long robes. And in order to move about and do it swiftly and without a weight or anything to encumber you, you would grab your, 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 your hem of your thing and you would pull it up and you tuck it into your belt. And now you got like a pair of pants on. Nothing can catch. Now you can move your legs about. That's what they did as soldiers. So you're girding up. Now thinking about this, that's girding, but it's the loins or the hip is what it is. But figuratively, it's the procreative part of the body, the seed. The seed that, that when the word of God comes in, there's a seed planted. When there's a lie that comes in, there's a seed planted that procreates life or death. If you believe the lie, it brings death. If you believe the truth, it's going to give you life. So you're girding up the loins of your mind. You're thinking. You're being sober about this, not intoxicated with your desires to go chase everything else. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's your, the faculty of your mind to think and understand. It actually is even your feelings and emotions. You're girding them all. You're bringing them in. And you're looking at the word of God. 
and understanding that you still have a choice in the matter. You can choose the word of God, the truth of God, the salvation of God, and be sanctified, or you can choose death, just like Eve did. Every single decision that you make has ramifications, not only to you, though, but to the whole body of Christ. What you decide affects the rest of the body because we're all supposed to be working together as the body of Christ. You're a part of a whole. You're a part of the whole body of Christ. So your decisions, or lack thereof, when you just ignore it, your disobedience affects others. So because of all this is going on, he's telling us that we need to get ourselves prepared there's an enemy out there that's trying to destroy us. He's trying to give us lies. He's trying to get us to follow something else and create our own thing with our own creative flow of seed and make up our own little religion. Well, I'm good. I went to church. I went to Bible study. It has nothing to do with salvation. If you don't have it with a heart to hear and obey, it's only a functioning of a religious person who wants to feel good. We go to be equipped. We go to learn. We go to hearken, to learn, to obey, and to tell others about it, and to train others in how life looks when you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Anything else is just religion. So gird up the loins of your mind. Are you girding up the loins of your mind? Are you still doing exactly what you used to do? Reading the same material, watching the same material, listening to the same music. Are you still making the same choices? I, I, I get so tired of people going, that's just the way I am. Really? New creations don't say that. People being led by the Spirit don't say that's who I am, that's how I am, because you know you're growing. And you're no longer going to be that way. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's evil, it's evil. And if you don't agree with God, then you can't ask Him to help you. And that's what he's trying to show you in your stubbornness of heart, in your sinfulness of flesh, in our pride. He wants to show us that the fire's there on purpose. The iron sharpening iron is there on purpose. It's good for you if you submit to it. If you rebel against it and deny it, that's the stone that will crush you. On judgment day. Do you want to know whether you have genuine faith or not? You can test it today. By whether you use the word of God and the wisdom of God and the spirit of God and the counsel of God to live your life. If you're not, then your faith might not be genuine at all. It might be some false culturanity. Where you like the music or you like the culture or you warm your hands. But your morality is decided on what you want to do in that moment and not on the morality of God. So gird the loins of your mind. Are you looking to do that? Are you looking to say, my mind will deceive me? But the word of God will never deceive me. Be sober. Be sober means, first of all, in the general sense, 
to abstain from anything that would intoxicate you, whether it's wine or booze or pills, abstain from it. Stay away from it. That's how the devil gets in. In fact, the same word for pharmacy, we, did, we just learned about this yesterday. What was it? Revelation 18. Marketing their pharmacy. That's how they deceived the whole world. And, and, and look around you. Who's in charge? Pharmacy. Who's in charge? The health department, the CDC. Who do we place in charge over them? Somebody that doesn't even know the biology. And we want them to tell us how to live? That's not sober-minded. We need to wake up. Pharmacy and sorcery are the same thing in the Bible sense. That doesn't mean that all medicine is bad. But you need to be careful. And if you're not girding the loins of your mind and looking to see what the Word of God says about it, then you don't know whether you're sober or not. You're intoxicated with something that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God, although you say you're a child of God who's calling on the Father. That's not genuine. It's not genuine. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sow, he will also reap. And if you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. If we truly have salvation, then we're children that wants to find out what pleases the Father. Sober. It, it means to be discreet. It means to be watching. It means to be calm and serious and collected in your spirit, obeying the Holy Spirit. In fact, over in Ephesians, he says that we should see then that we walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, finding out what the will of the Lord is. And then he says, and be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine, which is which will dissipate. When you get drunk with something in this world, you know what? You can get drunk on you can get drunk on the opposite sex. You can get drunk on pills. You can get drunk on uh, uh, booze. You can get drunk on your job. You can get drunk on anything. You can be fully intoxicated with it, and it pull you away from the relationship with God. And he says, do not be drunk with wine, which dissipates. In other words, you feel, I used to get drunk. I could whip anybody in the room until I stood up. And then I'd fall down after I hit them. You get beat up a lot like that, you know? You get beat up a bunch like that. But the Spirit of God doesn't dissipate if you listen and you hear attentively so that you can obey and follow the Spirit of God. It doesn't go away. He's there, always pursuing you, always convicting you, always wanting to finish the work that He started in you until the day that Christ Jesus is seen in your face. It doesn't dissipate if you're having that relationship with the Spirit. If you're asking Him to fill you and to use you and to move you into the places you need to be and to change your heart for His glory. We're supposed to be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Well, actually, he says first, speaking to another, one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So fellowship with others around the word of God. Listen. Are you looking to be sober in mind? Or are you intoxicated? 
Are you intoxicated? I don't want to talk right now because the government's going to give me $1,400 and I got to get to that money. I'm intoxicated with it. I got to get that money because I know what I'm going to buy already. I'm telling you right now, it's deception. It's intoxication. It makes you chase after something. Your hope is in a $1,400 check instead of in Jesus. I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, don't be deceived. Everything that they're doing, lock them down. Give them some money. Lock them down. Give them some money. Feed them some more lies. Control them. It's intoxication. To where you don't even know who you are in Christ. See, when you have a firm foundation of understanding the salvation that comes through the precious blood of Jesus, then no matter what people around you are doing, you're still looking to God. You say, what's this trial? What's this pain? What's this suffering? What's going on? It's working on my heart. That's what's going on. It's working on your heart. That's what's going on. But when you're controlled by the outward forces of fear and domination and drugs, and intoxication, and money, you can't be controlled by the Spirit of God. And you become a disobedient child that stumbles, and that rock crushes you, and your mind is not sober. Let me ask you, is your mind watching for His glorious appearing? Are you looking to be discreet? He's going to talk about this in a couple chapters, just about being discreet in the way we dress and the way we act. These are things that are godliness. They prove the genuineness of your faith. When you say things like, I don't care what they say, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not genuine faith. What if Christ said that? Our plumb line. All right, son, go get them. I don't care what they do or say I'm staying here at the throne room. See, there would be no salvation if Christ was selfish, if Christ was deceived, if Christ was blinded, if Christ didn't understand that he had to lay down his life, even to those who hated him, even to those who were in sin, and he still loved them, and he prayed for his enemies. He asked them to be forgiven even as he died on the cross see that's sober-mindedness with the will of god in mind that's sober-mindedness with wanting to, to see people redeemed that's all we're here for listen to me that's all you're here for you've been redeemed by the precious blood of jesus to be set apart for his use to what? Tell others. You want to know what you're here for? To worship God. To do the will of God. To be the person that God created you to be. Not the person that the devil wants you to be. Or the person that you want to be. Or the person your parents told you to be. Redemption. I mean, people ask these questions all their life. Well, what's it all about? What am I here for? Listen. It's all about Jesus. It's all about redemption. That's the only purpose to be here, is to allow him to fully redeem you and sanctify you, spirit, soul, and body. So gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Quit letting the world intoxicate you and lead you away with a carrot under your nose. 
Find out who you are in Christ Jesus and learn to walk in your identity and be led by the Spirit of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God, Romans 8, 14 tells us. And do what? And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where's you, where are you resting at? Where's your rest at? Is it in peace? Where are you resting at? Where do you find your rest at? These are important things. Is it in the hope? The anchor of your soul, Jesus Christ? Are you hoping fully upon the grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, His divine favor upon you? It's being brought to you as Christ is revealed. Now, now, if you go over to Colossians, and we're not going to go there, you can go there later and read Colossians 3. It says, when He appears, then you will appear. You'll be with Him. Right now, we're supposed to be looking into, let, let's go over there. Let's just go over there. I'm not going to, it's Colossians chapter 3. Back up a few books here. Let's just go to Colossians 3, and we'll read just a little bit of it. Again, here we have these words, if then, or since, King James, you were raised. We were raised with Christ. Yeah, you were dead. We were born dead, and when we come to life in Christ, it was like being raised from the dead. We were born dead in our trespasses and our sins. And he says, since you were raised with Christ, seek, that's where your eyes should be, those things which are above. Seek heavenly things, things that bring sanctification, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, your gird the loins of your mind, and be sober. Set your mind on things above. Not on things on the earth, which intoxicates you. Why? For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died, listen, came alive in your spirit, but your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and your body died, crucified with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, what should we do? Put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he tells you what those members are. And he's really talking about your actions. He's really talking about what you're obeying and what you're doing and how you're living. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. See, we don't want to be those children anymore. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. When we were dead, that's how we lived. And then he goes on to talk about God's dressing room, where you're taking off one set of mind, will, and emotions, your, uh, your emotions, your clothing, and you're putting on Christ. It's sanctification still. It's the same message. I just wanted you to read it from um, Paul writing to the church in Calice. Now, back in our text, you're resting your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation, at the uncovering, at the disclosure or the appearing, at the coming, it might mean. So it can mean you're resting your hope fully on him to complete the work he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. When you see him face to face, you're going to be just like him. But it also means this part of your daily walk where as you die to self and, self and you're resting your hope fully upon His grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, as you're 
growing daily, you're becoming more Christ-like daily. Paul said to the churches he wrote to them in Rome, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, I urge you, I plead with you, therefore, brethren, considering the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, why? Because God is holy, we're getting ready to read that, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable act, considering all the mercy of God. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, will, and emotions, by the renewing of your heart, by the renewing of the middle of you, by the renewing of the way you make decisions to believe or not believe the Word of God, by the renewing of your mind. Why? So you can become that evidence. You can prove that you have genuine faith. You can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's the same message everywhere you look in the Bible because it's the same God. He's unchanging, and He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. But we have to choose to ask Him to open our eyes, choose to ask Him to lead us, choose to ask Him and agree with Him about what's in our heart. He's not here to destroy us. He's here to save us. He's not mad at you. He already died for all of your sins, so quit hiding from Him. How did that go with Adam and Eve? His grace, he came and killed the first animal and covered them. And that's what he's done with us. He loves us. He came and died for us. He's not mad. Just quit hiding your sin. Quit covering your sin. Quit running from God. And surrender and agree with him and he'll change your life and sanctify you spirit, soul, and body. And you'll know that your faith is genuine because you'll be living in the Father's house instead of being POWs in the enemy's camp. He's brought it to us already. He's given us this great hope. See this? As obedient children. Oh boy, herein lies the problem. We're not very obedient children. We want our own way. Oh, in the, in the flesh we do. But the Spirit is the Spirit of obedience. If you let the Spirit lead you, you'll submit. You'll learn to obey. As obedient children, as obedient offspring of God. Listen, that's what that means. It's offspring. But it's as produced. It's children as produced from God. Now we're learning to be obedient. Part of learning to be obedient and compliant and submissive is agreeing, God, I wasn't obedient there. God, I didn't follow you there. I agree. Will you forgive me? Well, yes. He's faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, he is sanctifying you and conforming you into the image of Christ. That's why we agree. But if you don't agree and you think you can keep doing it your way, then all you're doing is holding your hand in the face of God and you're following the devil. You're believing the devil. And that disobedience is going to end in death. Notice he says he gives the contrast as obedient children, not conforming. Not conforming. King James is not fashioning yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. See, we're not ignorant anymore. Ignorant means unlearned. But now our eyes have been opened by the Spirit of God. 
And we know that there's a living God. We know that we're lost. We know we have a sin nature. We know we desire to, to sin against God. We know we desire to do our own thing. We know we have pride. See, you can't plead to fit. You can't get there and go, God, I didn't know. See, he knows he already opened your eyes. He knows he brought you a gift. He knows he sanctified you and sealed you. He knows that you know. In fact, if you'd go over to Romans, you'd find out. Romans chapter 1. They suppress the truth. Those that are going to hell, the sons of they suppress it. They go, I didn't know. I don't believe that. Greg believes that, but I don't believe that. No, listen, Greg tries to believe what this Bible says. So if you want to argue with the Word of God, you go get alone with God and you argue with Him. I ain't going to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you. You can suppress the truth. You can hide the truth. You can live an intoxicated life. You can ignore the truth. Or you can read the word of God and let God reveal the truth to you. And you can go out and tell somebody. That's what you're called to do. Is to go tell somebody. To go be the evidence in their face. You say there's no God? How did this happen? You say there's no God? I don't believe it. It's sad. It's sad that people are going to go to hell because they just choose in their own heart to ignore God's word, to be disobedient to God's word. I've been talking to a guy at a store and talking to him about Jesus, and he's, talk, he's nodding his head. I've been talking to him for a couple months now. And I find out he had an experience. And see, I can't deny his experience, but I can deny the place that the experience got him because now he believes in reincarnation. And I said, whoa, 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 I thought you was a Christian. Oh, well, I had this, uh, and this happened, and, and, and I had a spiritual experience. Oh, really? I said, well, the Bible says man's appointed to die once, and then comes the judgment. So you can believe the lie that you're going to have another chance. I said, what would be the purpose? Oh, to get it perfect, and then, then to what? To come into nothingness? I, I said, that's, that's good old-fashioned devil lies. That makes you think you got more chances and you can play around right now. Listen, you might die today. Today your soul might be asked of God and he say it's over with. And if your life isn't right with God because of the blood of Jesus, there's no more chances. Do you think it's fun to be talking to somebody in a store and tell them that they're deceived? No, but it's love. It's love because I might not see him again. He might have drove home that night and died. So if he's laying in a gutter someplace bleeding to death, I want him to think about the fact that he's following a lie. Does it make you popular? Of course not. Jesus wasn't popular. They killed him. Listen. Are you conforming yourself, fashioning yourself to former lust? Are you really become a Christian and now you want to look like the world? You know, I know so many people that didn't look like the world. They get saved and come to church and they start looking like the world. What in the world is that? I'm not saying you're going to hell for it, but why do you start acting like the world after you get saved? That don't even make any sense to me. That's upside down. It's backward. I'm not even going to go into detail on that. Maybe it'll land somewhere and convict somebody's heart. 
Fashioning means to form yourself alike. To take your mind and your character, yourself, and become like. Listen, salvation is to make you a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Positionally, you became perfect and holy in heaven. Practically, in your daily walk, you're becoming new as your mind, will, and emotions say, whoa, I feel like I'm going to do this, but I need to choose the Word of God. That's how you become new. If you keep fashioning and keep doing what you feel like, knowing that it's sin and wrong and it's death, you're not being fashioned into a new creation. You're not being sanctified. In fact, your faith might not be genuine. That's what Peter's saying. If you want to know you have genuine faith, you have to begin to go the other way. You don't turn just from your sin. You turn to a God who's already done it for you, and he's capable of doing it here, and he's capable of sanctifying you, spirit, soul, and body, until the day that he sees you. But our heart needs to be turned toward being obedient children. See, the disobedient children were in the Garden of Eden. The disobedient children is how you inherited your father's inheritance of a sin nature. When you inherit the new father's inheritance because of Jesus being perfect and the precious, precious blood of Jesus, now you begin to act like him, not like your old father who disobeyed willfully as we were doing in our former desires our former lust previously at the first now listen that lust, that word lust there because lust is okay if it's put in the right place if you desire to do the will of god if you if you lust after the character of god those are words that can be used in that way but this is a word that means a longing for the forbidden that which is bad for you that will kill you that will fashion you like your old father Instead of make you holy. That you did when you were ignorant. If you do it willfully while you're not ignorant and your eyes are open, it can lead to death. 15. But he who called you, God the Father, is holy. Holy. Hagios. That's the word we get saint out of. You know why we call each other saints while you're a saint? Because you receive salvation. You've been sanctified into the body of Christ. Now you put a saint on the word ain't. There's saints and there's ain'ts. That's the word we get saint from. It means pure. It means morally blameless. Ceremonially consecrated. And positionally we are. God is holy. So now we're holy positionally. But practically we're not. I mean, I don't have to talk to you about that, do I? I mean, what did you do earlier today or yesterday that you know was not holy? You know it was not practically the right thing to do. You know you were convicted of it. Then that right there shows you that you are, in your mind, will, and emotion, in your body, you are not holy. But you are being, coming holy. You're being sanctified. You're not sinning less. You're not sinless, but you're sinning less if you're trying to grow in Christ. If you're hearing to obey. Because you're going to carry this body of sin around with you. You're going to, the devil's going to be here until we're taken out of this world. He's going to be there to tempt you. Your flesh is going to be there so you can make the wrong choice. You can choose to do something that's silly and sinful and against God and disobedient to his word when you know it.
15. He who called you is holy. He's pure. He's undefiled. He's altogether different. He's set apart in his thinking, in his actions, in his words, in everything that he does. Isn't that amazing that he wants us to be like him? Not be a God, but be like him. You also be holy in all your conduct. Be set apart. Be sober. Gird the loins of your mind in all your conversation is what that word is there in the King James. It's conduct here. It really means your behavior. Behavior. Everything that you do in your daily walk. You're looking to ask the Holy Spirit, how can I do this unto the glory of God in a way that is pure and it's blameless and it proves that I am consecrated and set apart. You say, oh, well, that's going to be hard on all my behavior because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now that's in Leviticus 11.44. We're not going to go there. I think we went there before. Listen to me. You, you say, this is so hard. Listen, you're training your heart. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to be your guide, to be your teacher, to be your trainer, to be your instructor. So you have to begin to look at and say, I want to be holy. I want to do that, Lord. I want to know my gifting. I want to know my talents. I want to know my part in the body. I want to be able to, to walk and do the things you want me to do, God. See, when you begin to turn your heart toward that hearkening attention to the Holy Spirit, now you're training your spiritual heart you're training your mind, will, and emotions to begin to think that way. Well, what happens if you don't? Well, you grow up as a Christian. You're 30 years in the church, and you're still living according to your former lust and your former conduct because you have not asked, you have not tried, you have not done anything to repent and turn the other way. Oh, yeah, I don't go to the bar anymore. Oh, I don't hang around with those who do. But are you being sanctified? Listen to me. I was just talking to one of the kids earlier, and he said the word Easter, and I said Resurrection Sunday. Oh, why are you mad at me? I said, I'm not mad at you. You're training your heart that when somebody disagrees with you, you're training your heart that when I say something different and I don't agree with you, you're training your heart to think somebody's mad at you who loves you and is sharing truth with you. I said, I just don't use the word Easter because it's a pagan fertility god. I said, I just say Resurrection Sunday because that's what it's about. I'm not mad at you, but if you train your heart every time somebody disagrees with you, if you train your heart that you're a victim, if you train your heart the way the world wants you to train it, you're going to grow up and not be friends with anybody that disagrees with you. You won't be able to witness to anybody because they won't want to hear you because they're already trained that if you don't agree with them, then you're the bad guy. Oh, is that what's going on in the culture? I didn't know that. I digress. It's called death culture. If they don't agree with our narrative in life of evolution, uh, of things evolving, you know, the new one is transhumanism. You think transsexual is bad. Wait till you see transhumanism where they think that they can create themselves to become God by using biogenics and other parts, and that's what they're doing. Don't let them put nothing in you. It's okay to get a hip replacement or a knee replacement. That's not what I'm talking about. Study it. Transhumanism. Don't forget the word means no. Trans is a. It means no. Salvation is for humans. Got to get rid of God. 
Are you looking to be holy? It's written. Always look what's written. And if, ooh, ooh, why does he say it like that? Anybody got the King James? I didn't look at that. Why does he say? See, we're supposed to make it our conversation, our behavior, what we're talking about, speaking to one another, songs and hymns and spiritual songs, our conduct. And it says, if you call on. If? Does that mean there's people that, wait a minute, that are sanctified and positionally saved and they don't call on the Father? Does that mean there's people that in the church that don't pray? If you call on the Father? Listen to me, the word if is to invoke for aid, to worship, to testimony, a decision, to appeal to. If you appealed to him for salvation, if you call on the Father, if, it's a choice you're left with. The Father. Oh, I love that. See, we've been brought into a new family. It's a great family. But you have to be obedient children and learn to be obedient. That's what family's all about. You know why family's destroyed on the earth? Because the devil wants to destroy it. He wants the children to be disobedient. He's already got the next generation, the next generation. It's further because they've been given a command to train. When we come to salvation, we've been given a command to train ourselves, to be sober, to be vigilant. We've been given that same command as adults, as people who come to Christ. And we ignore it. And then the family of God looks all weird. Looks like they're disobedient children. It's not supposed to look like that. It's not supposed to look like that. If you call on the Father, I pray you're calling on the Father. I pray you're trusting in His salvation. Who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Wait a minute, I'm going to get judged for my work? Are you serious? If I call on the Father in this house, I'm getting judged for my work? Yeah, and he's not a respecter of persons. And he judges each one of us the same exact way. Your work is your behavior. It's what you do. It's your conduct. It's your, it, 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 the word here is as an effort or as an occupation. It's what you're doing In your salvation. All of our works. See, we're going to again go through fire. Right now we go through trials. We go through the heat. We go through the, 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 the purging of the old man and, and bringing of the new man. It's burning out the dross. But then, even as a Christian, we're going to get to heaven and go to what's called the Bema Seat Judgment. And there's going to be fire. And anything that was done in, in your Christian walk that is not for Christ... It was not being led by the Spirit. It was not what He had called you to do. It was not according to sanctification. It's going to be burn up. And the Bible says that you'll be saved, but yet by fire. By fire. We're going to go through fire again. See, you can't get into the new heaven and the new earth unless you're pure and holy. You're not going to get there. It's going to be burn up. God doesn't recognize the work of our flesh, yet most of the church is flesh. It's not girding the loins of their mind. It's not sober. It's not looking to rest fully upon the grace. We're not looking to be 
obedient children. Somebody told us once, well, God will forgive so you can do anything you want. Just ask for forgiveness later. That's not a heart of a person who's saved. That's not the heart of Christ. That's not the heart of salvation. We're looking to what is right and asking God to correct our hearts. So if you call on the Father, who's going to judge all of our works without partiality, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. There's a certain reverence you have to always be aware of for God. He's not a good old boy. Yes, he's a father, but he's unchanging, so he's going to judge justly everybody without partiality. It's not going to be, oh, you know what, but they did do this, so I'll just kind of forget that. That's not what's going to happen. He's just also. We have to do it his way. Come back into his house. Be led by his spirit. Those prove genuineness of faith. Why? Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, other men, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Isn't that amazing? We weren't redeemed with silver or gold. Silver just happens to be, uh, in the Bible, redemption. It means redemption. Gold means deity. These things you might like down here, but we weren't redeemed with them. We were redeemed by the precious blood. Precious means valuable, costly, honorable. It was a great price of God. The precious blood. Life is in the blood. This is literally blood, and it refers to the seat of life of Christ. He was anointed for this purpose. What purpose were you anointed for? See, by the foreknowledge of God, you were called, but really you were also anointed to do something. The Spirit of God anoints you to do something in the body of Christ, to be a part. Notice what it says. He goes on to say, He indeed, He who, Christ, the anointed, the one who is without blemish and without spot. Blemish is something that you'd be born with. A blemish is like something that is, see, he wasn't born with with a sin nature because his father was from heaven. No blemish, no fault, no sin in him when he was born. And then a spot is something you do, a scar you get after you're alive. And then he sinned none. He didn't have blemish or spot because he was born without sin and he never disobeyed the Father throughout life. That's why his blood is precious. That's why his blood atones. Without blemish and without spot. But notice what he says in 20. He indeed was foreordained. Before. When? There he is. When? The foundation of the world. See, God always knew what was going to happen. It wasn't, oh my goodness, they sinned. It wasn't, oh my goodness, they crucified him. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Before God ever spoke, he already knew what was going to happen. Because he spoke and created the earth. 
but was manifest, became evident, rendered apparent. He appeared and showed himself in these last times for you. Listen, why did he come? To redeem you. For you, for humankind, for mankind. Not transhumans, not demons, not disobedient, but those who would be obedient, children of God. Oh, he died for all. Don't get me wrong. He was foreordained. Who through him believed, that's the word pistio, to trust in God. Who raised him, resurrection from the dead, and gave him honor, glory, praise, so that your faith and hope are in God. Listen, your faith and hope are supposed to be in God. God is in three persons. Father had the plan. Father sent the Son and gave him to the world. Not to condemn us. We were already condemned. But to save us. And then the Spirit is leading and making us like him. And you have to cooperate with all three parts of that trinity. The plan, the blood, and the Spirit to sanctify you into the body of Christ and to conform you into the image of Christ. That all works together. But notice this. Before the foundation of the world, God planned it, and then He wrote it in the Bible. Go to Exodus 12. That's why I asked you about. See, Exodus 12 is what today is about. See, today is the triumphal entry in our calendar in the Jewish calendar, it may not be specifically according to the lunar calendar, but today is considered the 14th of Nisan. The 14th of Nisan, if you know from Exodus 12, is the day that the Passover instructions were given and were being instituted for the children of Israel to be led out of their bondage in Egypt. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Egypt is a type of the world and God is going to bring judgment, complete judgment. Final judgment is what 10 is about. 10 is about final judgment. So everyone that's not a priest for God, a believer priest for God because of the precious blood of Jesus, listen to me clearly, they become a priest for the devil, their father. They are doing the work of their father. And this is all represented in Exodus Chapter 12, as a type, it was foreordained before he even spoke and created the earth, but then he planted it in the scriptures as a type. As a type, he had this people that he pulled apart. He wanted them to be a, 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 a tribe of priests. He ends up with the Levitical priesthood because he knew that they would disobey him. But when he comes and dies for us in his precious blood, now all of us that believe in are obedient to the word, instead of being disobedient to that free gift, we get to become believer priest, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, all because of him. Now he foreordained this. He knew it was always going to happen. On the 14th in the Son, we're going to see that that's the same day that's correspondent, and we'll look at it next week. That's today. The Bible, many people call it Palm Sunday because they weigh palm branches, but it's the triumphal entry. He's coming in in triumph because he knows for this moment, for this anointing, he was born. He was foreordained to walk into Jerusalem on the 14th in the sun and then go through a week of questioning 
and then be crucified at twilight on the 17th and spend three full days in the grave and then raised again on the third day. He was foreordained to be this. And this festival prefigures it and they celebrated all their generations. And then on the night that he was being crucified or being arrested, he institutes communion that the church looks back on and remembers that he died and rose again. It says this in 12.1, and we'll close with this quickly. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, they were his prophets, in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Speak. Notice it's spoken. Speak. Just like the Bible speaks to you and I. Everybody that hears it and obeys it will be saved. Speak to all the congregation of Israel. Israel means uh, governed by God. Speak to all those that are governed by God, saying, On the tenth of the month. Did I say fourteenth so many times and I meant tenth? Sorry. I'm sorry. I meant tenth and Nisan. Did I say that? Tenth and Nisan. And then he was crucified on the fourteenth and Nisan at twilight. Man, I had that all the way backward, didn't I? I just realized that. Okay, tenth and Nisan. Got that? Tenth of the first month. On that day, what did they do, Greg? On the tenth of the month, again, ten is the number uh, of perfect completion. Seven is number of completion. It's final with ten. Tenth of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Let the precious blood of the lamb of God, as of a lamb of God. See, it's all a type. Peter's talking about this. According to his house of his father, a lamb for his household. Now listen, you can take whatever lamb you want, but my father sent Jesus. I'm not taking no other lamb. But you've got a choice according to who you want to obey. And if the household is too small for the lamb, in other words, that's a lot to have, share with your neighbor. Listen, when you know Jesus, you need to share with your neighbor. God first and then your neighbor. Listen to your father first and then give it to your neighbor. Share with your neighbor. He's way too big for any one house. And it's made to go out and share. Let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's needs, you shall make your count for the lamb. Now, what's important here? See, God keeps telling. I, I, I want to back up a minute. God keeps telling Pharaoh, let my people go. What does that represent? It represents freedom from the slavery and the bondage that they're under in the world, in Egypt. And Pharaoh's a type of Satan. See, and then he's going to release them. He's going to take them into the wilderness like we just read in Deuteronomy 8 too, which represents they're already, they're going to be baptized into Moses going through the Red Sea. And then their sanctification is going to be the 40 years that he shows them. 40 is the number of judgment. What's in their heart? All of this is already in the Old Testament and it's the foundation. And it was all foreordained before God ever spoke and created any of it. He already had it. His ways are so much higher than ours. There is no wisdom or counsel against him. We can't even fathom the death uh, uh, of what he's doing. But we can get a glimpse of it. And so he keeps telling them. And you know what Pharaoh does? He says, 
No. Then he says, okay, take them. And I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but there's different levels of what he does. And then as soon as they would start to move, he'd change his mind. And he would change his mind. He would change his mind. And you know what happened? The Bible says he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. And then the Bible said God hardened his heart. There came a time where God did not let him change his mind. Either you're going to obey me or you're not. There's going to come a time where you don't have a choice. Your sin's going to take over. Your life's going to take over. God's going to allow your heart to be confirmed, and you're not going to be able to change your mind. That's why today is the day for deliverance from your prideful, sinful heart, not tomorrow. Today is the day to say, yes, Lord, and then obey. Not tomorrow, because tomorrow might not be there. He might confirm you in that place that you're at, because that's what he does to Pharaoh. And in that final judgment, that's when he institutes the Passover. And everybody that's got the blood on their doors, let's continue back on it. Verse 5, your lamb, this is, this is the requirement, it's what it's going to look like, shall be without blemish, wasn't born with anything wrong, a male of the first year or firstborn, just like Jesus was, it can be translated. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Now listen, it's interesting. That week there, the four days, the 10th through the 14th is called the week of questioning when you go through the Gospels. And you see after his triumphal entry, we'll look at it next week more in depth, that they began to question him and they inspect him. And they had to build a relationship with him. And they seen what he was saying and what he was doing. And nothing was coming out of his mouth that wasn't innocent and pure and holy. They had no blemish. He had no spot. Yet they decided to crucify him. Because they had to follow what God had already said. They had to follow it. They didn't have any choice. He came. He was foreordained for this. To die for your and my sin. So his blood would be sprinkled on the altar and we could be forgiven. Notice it's the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel that killed him. Kills the Passover lamb. The whole congregation. He died for all. And they shall take some of the blood... And put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Wherever you're eating at and getting your sustenance at. The place that you're eating, put the blood there. It's your heart on the inside of your heart. Your desires, the place you're fed at. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire. Notice the flesh has to be roasted in fire. That's you and I going through trials. We're roasted in fire to bring out the impurities. With unleavened bread. Unleavened bread means there's no yeast. Leaven is a representative of evil in the church, evil in the life. So God wants all of it. That's what the fire is for. It's removing all of this evil influence. And with bitter herbs, again, trials, suffering. It's to remind you of that. You shall eat it. While we're having fellowship with God, we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through the fire. We're going to go through suffering. But we should still eat it and keep moving, trusting God. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled 
at all in water, but roasted in fire. It has to all go through the fire. Its head with its legs and its entrails. Everything. And, and when you look in Leviticus chapter 1, it's the, when you give everything, it's a fully dedicated burnt offering. Everything goes to God. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And this is our, listen, I, and I know you guys might not see this, but I see it. And I'm trying to show you that it's deeper than just the lines. But the lines themselves will t- tell you the testimony of God. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Listen, that's hearing and hearkening to obey. Nothing till the new day. When the new day dawns, we're going to be with Christ. We're supposed to be looking to have it all gone. All of our flesh roasted. Everything about us. Nothing left when we see him face to face. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. That's going to go through probably the Bema seed. It could be uh, seeing him face to face and instantly consumed because he's a consuming fire. The rest of it. When we conformed into his image completely. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist and sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Listen, this is not a game. It's supposed to be done in haste. It's supposed to be done quickly. It's supposed to be done circumspectly. We're supposed to be preparing and watching and doing this diligently. Listen, it's the same thing he said to gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is in Jesus Christ that's going to be revealed at His coming. It's the same thing. You don't say, oh, I heard that message once and now I guess I'm going to go home and eat lunch. It needs to become serious. It needs to become imperative. It needs to become something that you know you're involved in so that the genuine of your faith can become real and you know that you're saved. I know you're saying, but I've been taught all my life. All I had to do was go to the altar and say a prayer. It's not in the Bible. Paul says to test yourself to see if you're even in the faith. Peter's saying the the genuineness of your faith, if it's real, will be known. James says that faith without works is dead. It's not real. And yet people go, oh, yeah, do say prayer. How come all the apostles, all the testimony is, is that there's proof of it. You can know today. You don't have to wait. How come it looks like it? You can see it. You become part of it. In the Bible, except in the church today, all you have to do is say a prayer. It's deception. Sorry. Not trying to make you doubt your faith I'm trying to encourage you to walk out your faith with the spirit of God because of the love of God because you've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus for a purpose you've been bought to go and tell others and to become part of a family and to be concerned the same way God was with his great love for souls that were going to be cast into hell All of that comes in the package. It's all in the inheritance. It's all part of it. And everything that we do in the body of Christ. Listen, you don't make coffee for the church 
You're not making coffee because Greg asked you to. You're not cleaning the church because Greg asked you to. You don't mow the grass because Greg asked you to. It's the body of Christ. Everything that needs to be done to get the gospel out is the body of Christ. We're serving unto God. And if you do it in the flesh, you're going to die according to the flesh. You need to do it according to the Spirit because the Spirit called you to serve people and to lay your life down. And it's idolatry if you do it just for notoriety. If you do it just out of spite. If you do it for any other reason but the Spirit of God calling you to do it, it's idolatry. There's freedom in the Lord. There's liberty in the Lord to serve people because of the love of God. And if we're not loving people because of the love of God, then we're just deceiving ourselves and deceiving them. Verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt. Oh, I already read that. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land. Ooh, he's coming. Of Egypt, type of the world. On that night, it's dark. And will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Now, remember, the firstborn in the land of Egypt, they gave them as priests to all the false gods. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt, born man and beast. And again, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And that's what he's proven. I'll kill all the priests of these other gods and prove to you that they can't stop me, so they're not really God. I'm God. And if somebody stops me, then they're God. But they're not going to because I am the Lord, supreme in authority. Now, the blood shall be a sign for you. You can tell the genuineness of your faith because of the precious blood of Jesus. And if you have the precious blood of Jesus, then you have the Spirit of God. And you've already been sanctified into the body. And the Spirit of God is going to take you and use you for the glory of God. So you're going to begin to do the things that he called you to do. It's going to be a sign. Tells you something more about that house than what you would have known had the sign not been there. So when the Passover lamb comes, he said, he said on the, when the blood is on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, hence the Passover festival, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you, to kill you. Because the blood means you have life. The precious blood of Jesus gives you life. There's life in the blood. Now this was a type, but it always prefigured Christ who was preordained. I will not destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial. You do it as a remembrance. This is their independence day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Because the Lord did it. You give him thanks. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And you remember that there's no leaven in this because I have positionally been set free by the blood of the lamb that I chose from my father's house. On the first day you shall remove the leaven from your houses. Uh, from whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from those governed by God, from the Israel. Listen, so that's the head of the house. This is what they would do in their feast. The head of the house would go through the house and make sure the house isn't allowing anything evil in the house during that week that they remembered what the Lord had done, the Passover festival. 
Same thing with communion. We come to the communion table and we look back at what Christ has done and we ask and we search our hearts. We judge ourselves. But now we know what all the prophets talked about. Now we know what they were writing about. Now we know what the angels longed to look in. Listen, the angels were doing the work of God and they're still ministering to us. But God is privileged just to be involved. Yet when you look around in the churches today, they're not involved in the ministry of telling people about Jesus. They're not involved in the ministry of redemption or reconciliation. They're not involved in restoring all things to God. So I would encourage you to get involved. Ask God what your calling is. Ask Him what your gifts and talents and abilities are. Ask Him to search you and know you and try you and know if, if there's any wicked way in you and lead you in the way everlasting. He's for you. He wants to get the wicked way out of us. He wants to cleanse us and sanctify us, spirit, soul, and body. He's not mad. Quit hiding from Him and begin to celebrate this great love, this precious blood that was given. And to tell other people about it. Stand up. Don't shut up. Be evidence. Be proof in this courtroom that there's a living God because your life has changed. Your former life is gone. You're a new creation. You've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Let's walk it out in his power for his glory for such a time as this. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I